Welcome to the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. Truth and Grace Counseling exists to provide clarity from a biblically informed perspective in order to help individuals engage life faithfully. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. On today's episode, I discuss my thoughts on the new Mario movie. Did I think it was a good or a bad? I also discuss some new services that I'm offering at Truth and Grace Counseling. In today's meet section, I speak with a marriage and family therapist and discuss her thoughts on being a conservative Christian in a very non-conservative and Christian field. In the last word segment, I talk about freedom and what that word truly means. All right, I'll catch you at the water cooler. The Water Cooler. Welcome to the water cooler. Before I get going into this week's kind of water cooler talk, I wanted to let you know of something new that I've been doing. So on both my main counseling website, truthandgracecounseling.com, and the podcast-only website, truthgracecounselingpodcast.com, I have a mailing list, an email list there. And on that is just a way for you to kind of be updated when new episodes, new blogs, things like that come out. Well, I've decided to do something a little bit nice for you guys that sign up for that. I'm including on there a code for the merch shop. So for things like my mug and coaster and tumbler, things like that back there, you can get that. It's a 10% off code. I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to make you sign up for it first. Those of you that have already signed up for it and know what the code is, Don't blab it out. Super top secret stuff. Um, Anyways, so I've got a link down there that you can sign up for that newsletter. You can also hop on um, particularly my my counseling or sorry, my uh, podcast website. And it's got a nice little pop up that likes to annoy you to say, hey, sign up for this. So just an added little um, little gift for you. 10% off in the gift shop there. So uh, feel free to check that out and sign up for that. Anyways, jumping into things, I typically don't talk about things on the podcast that are time limited, and I do that for a reason. I like to make things that are relevant for the long haul. Um, Some people call it evergreen content, so you can view it two years from now and it'll still be relevant. That being said, every once in a while, there are some more time limited things that happen that I wanted to talk about. So not entirely sure when this podcast is going to air. If you don't know, I film a lot of these things in advance before they actually go out. So not entirely sure the time frame. So it may not be completely relevant. All that being said, I want to talk to you a little bit about the new Mario movie. So if you don't know what Mario is, then I honestly don't know who you are, where you've been, uh, you know, your entire existence if you were born past the mid-80s like I was. Um, but Mario is an extremely popular video game series. It's known for the main protagonist, Mario, who is this plumber that for some reason when he eats mushrooms he gets bigger and he has a fire flower and basically he saves Princess Peach from the evil King Bowser. Just a silly, goofy little little game, and it's spun off into many, many, many different titles. I don't know how many Mario games are out there now, but a lot, and it is huge. It is, like, generally when people think of video games, like, that is the franchise people tend to think about. Well, aside from this anomaly of a horrible movie in the 90s, which... 
I don't know the full history on, but it was bad. There's a Super Mario movie that was really not really Mario. It, it was just bad. So act like it doesn't exist. If you haven't seen it, unless you want to just cringe through a terrible movie, don't don't watch it. Act like it doesn't exist. Anyways, um, we'll act like that doesn't exist for a little bit and just assume that this is Mario's first big feature film movie. And initially when it was announced, I was a little apprehensive because I really enjoy Mario. I, I just like the franchise and video game movies, aside from just the Super Mario one I referenced earlier, just in general, don't they don't have a good reputation. There are many out there that exist. One that immediately comes to mind, I believe it was sometime in the 90s, there was a Mortal Kombat movie that was supposed to be a big deal, and I don't think it was very good. I don't really know of any video game movies that are, I guess, movies based off of video games that are good. You, you can comment down below if you know of one. I just personally don't. So when I heard Mario was announcing they're going to have a movie, I'm like, oh, this... Let's not ruin the plumber for everyone, all right? And then especially when they started announcing some of the names, like Seth Rogen um, was Donkey Kong, and Jack Black was uh, was Bowser, and then Chris uh, Chris Pratt was uh, was Mario. And like, oh, it's got these big names. Are they just going to kind of mess with things? Anyways, I was apprehensive. Well, started seeing some reviews, saw overall pretty decent um reviews coming out although uh, i'll get to this a little bit later of some of the rotten tomatoes stuff which is just nonsense anyways um decided that okay this is going to be worthwhile for me to go to and i took my daughter who is three this was her first movie experience and let me tell you um she got to have some popcorn and a sprite and i was a little concerned since she's three um and the movie wasn't that long it's like an hour and a half but it's like is she gonna make it through the whole movie. She loved it. Was mostly quiet throughout it all. Um, was clearly paying attention. Uh, she talks about how much she loves Princess Peach. Um, and anyways, it, it was great. She had a, a blast. And that's what I really want to focus on is, look, the movie was, it is what it is. Like it, it, it's a Mario movie. If you're looking for this uh, cinematic masterpiece, just mind blowing plot. No, I, like you don't have to watch the movie to know what happens. Like spoiler alert, Mario wins. <laughs> That's how all the video games uh, go as well. And and mind you, most of the video games really don't have much of a story in it either. Like Mario saves the day. That That's basically the plot. And that's what the movie was, but that's what it needed to be. What was jarring about this, which I think is an indictment on our culture, is there wasn't a bunch of, just CRT, gender ideology. You didn't see these blue-haired, crazy-looking people around and BLM flags and Antifa. Um, and to be fair, too, you didn't see any uh, right-wing stuff. There was just, there was none of that. It was Mario. It was fun. You could hear in the in the theater just kind of the audience laughing together, having fun. It was a togethering moment to where kids and their family members and pretty much everybody in the theater had kids with them it was great we had fun we didn't have to worry about anything you know there were there were a few parts here and there um there's this luma character that if you haven't seen yet like not a main character but just kind of makes these jokes about death and things like that it wasn't like horrible but one of those where 
okay, that's some kids. You might need to talk about what that was kind of referencing there. But other than that, like, yeah, there wasn't any bad words um, that I guess you could say there's violence in the sense that a big turtle looking dude is breathing fire on a plumber. <laughs> I mean, it's very cartoon type of violence, but just a fun, good movie for the kids. No political statements whatsoever. Just fun. And in the world of Pixar, that's constantly pushing new LGBTQI plus whatever characters. Uh, you had the recent Buzz Year uh, film that um, had gay kiss and all that stuff in there. And you can say, well, well, that's not a big deal. You can say that, but they know what they're doing. Those Pixar executives, they know what they're doing. They know that the audience itself isn't asking for that. They're just trying to score some more political points. Look at how good of a person I am by being inclusive in this movie. Instead of what Mario did, which just make a good movie. And you see this at the box office. Um, I don't have the numbers pulled up. I don't honestly don't care to know that much, but I know that they're killing it. Mario is. And by the time that this airs, I'm sure it's just killed it that much more. Um, people are going to this movie. Yes, because it's Mario, but also because it's just fun. No political statements, just fun. And that's what we need for kids movies to be is just fun. So Hollywood, take notice. More Mario. And I don't just mean more Mario in the literal sense of more Mario movies, although I would be okay with that. But more of that style, just fun for kids and less of the buzzier whatever stuff like the just the LGBTQ, BLM, Cartoon Network pushing some of this gender, ideolo gender ideology nonsense down our kids' throats. Less of that. Less of Blue's Clues with drag queens in it. Less of that more Mario, more plumbers with fire flyers, fire flowers, throwing fireballs and princesses being saved and all, all that fun stuff and toads and Yoshis like more of that, please, please, please. Anyways, all that being said, clearly I was passionate about that topic. I loved getting to have that experience uh, with my daughter. Another note, <laughs> this might be uh, taken in a uh, in a bad way. So I'm actually going to shelter the name that's on this mask because I don't mean this in any type of uh, uh, threatening type of sense. But my wife and I, um, we like to go in the backyard every once in a while and take a pellet gun. And I've got this little uh, like, like yay big, the squirrel thing that you stick into the ground. Like It's like a stake, um, kind of like a yard ornament that you just stake into the ground. And it's this metal squirrel and it's got a little target on it. And you just take a pellet gun and you shoot it. And it's like, um, so one of those things, like, I don't really know the city ordinances. This is probably something you're not supposed to do in the backyard, but whatever. The neighbors don't care. It's really not loud. So we do that. It's fun. Um, just shooting a, a squirrel back there. Well, when um, the, the president decided that all of the healthcare workers needed to take shots or get fired, um, <laughs> once I got out of that job, I took the mask that I wore every day for oh, over a year, year and a half or something, I don't remember exactly, and put it on that squirrel. <laughs> and I, I went to town shooting some pellets on it. And you can see, I don't, I don't know how this is picking up on camera, but that's a pretty good hole there. And there's there's other holes throughout it. And again, I'm I'm covering the name on there. If you know me personally, you know what name's on there. But I'm not meaning any threats of violence. It's just a, 
I hated wearing this stupid mask and I like to shoot holes in it. So I'd forgotten that I had done that. Um, my wife and I hadn't uh, uh, hadn't shot the the pellet gun there for a while, and I found that this last weekend. So, uh, anyways, that that was just a funny little funny little antidote there of, of uh, times past, and it was kind of cathartic in a way. I was, I was very angry, um, upset at that time, and now I just find it funny. All that being said, wanted to transition into some very exciting news about some new services that I'm offering at Truth and Grace Counseling. I've referenced this before, especially in the last uh, kind of solo meet section of how I want to expand beyond solely just counseling, the, the therapy process, because while I think is important and something I will always have in my practice, I also want to be able to be flexible enough to one, offer some services that are not bound by my licensure, which I just think at some point in the future, I may not be able to keep that depending on where some of the ideological issues go. Um, but it also just opens me up to um, different clientele that maybe one, don't want counseling, but um, could glean from some of my um, experiences and some of the, the wisdom that I could offer them. And also just for people in other states. So Two different things that I'm offering right now. One is a consultation service for other Christian counselors that want to get their own counseling practice going. Now, this is something that obviously I have been through myself here pretty recently. And my business is by no means something that is huge and, and is something that, oh, you have to do everything exactly the way that I have. No. But since it is pretty fresh on my mind, I know some things that have worked well for me, some things that have not worked well. And I believe that I can really help some people that are in that dreaming phase of I, I want to get my own practice going, especially for a Christian counselor that maybe they're working for an agency that's pushing some gender affirmation care or um, something that's just going against their value system. And they want to get out of that. I've been there. I know what that's like. And I want to offer some services to help people get going. So I've got a link down there about my uh, Christian counseling startup um, services. And really, I want to be essentially a one-stop shop. Um, I, I want to be able to get to the point to where I'm able to help people either develop the skills to make their own website, or um, I can make that website for them. Also, we can explore what type of note-taking system, the, the EHR, electronic health record system that they want to use, and even things beyond that of making a logo. Um, I, I can help with that. Doing some social media planning. Which ones do you want to be on? Which ones do you not want to be on? Do you want to get some help making some of those graphics? I can do that as well. So something that, you know, it's probably going to change um, once I, I get some more people in. And um, I'm always looking for feedback from improvement. So some of those offerings might change a little bit, but I really think that I have a pretty, um, pretty good perspective because this is all fresh for me. And, and I know what it's like to build a website from literally the ground up. 100% uh, of my website and my podcast website, I have done completely 100% on my own. And yeah, I'm a millennial, like I pretty much every millennial knows how to navigate the internet more so than if, if you're a baby boomer or something like that. But I am not a tech guru. Like I, I don't know how to code. I, I don't know a lot of those technical things. And despite that, um, by no means is my 
website or, or my podcast website perfect but i think it's pretty good i think you're able to navigate it pretty well it's uh easy to, to see it's pretty colorful um i think i you know overall did a pretty good job with that and, and i know that i can help other people do that and it really doesn't take as many skills as you might think it does but sometimes it takes that extra push from somebody to be able to hold your hand a little bit to um to help you get that going so anyways um I'm offering that. So if you listening to this video are interested, if you're a a counselor that either wants to do your own Christian counseling practice, or maybe you don't even want to be specifically a Christian counselor, but you are a Christian that's a counselor and you want your own practice going, like, let me know. Um, We need to be able to fight against a lot of these ideologies. and, And honestly, just a lot of this spiritual warfare that's going on in our profession. Um, and I want us to do it head on. Um, let's not just sink back in the shadows and uh, disagree with people, but not step up and say anything. Like, like, let's be out on the front lines, start making more of these businesses, and I can help you come up with some other ways to make income that you're not solely dependent on an organization, uh, an agency, hate your guts that, that doesn't like your values. So feel free to check that out down below. Share it with friends. If, if you know a counselor that um, wants to get their own practice started, I, I would love to chat with them and help them out. The next bit on there, I've got a link down for this as well, is some personal development um, skills that I'm offering. So counseling is something that, uh, again, I am limited to a um, a licensure. So I'm licensed in Oklahoma and Texas. So people in those states, I can see we go through the counseling process. And counseling is something that is much more emotional in nature. So I'll use, for example, a, um, a death in the, fa- in the family. Everybody's experienced some type of grief that is affecting people to different degrees. Um, and it, it hurts. It's something that is difficult to go through. So if you see somebody that is going through grieving and I see them as a counselor, we're going to work through those emotions. And oftentimes for me, I'm just kind of that sounding board. Like they're, they're, oh my gosh, my mom died, my kid died or whatever that awful situation is. And we work through that emotionally. And it's really that process Yes, there are some specific things that I might ask them to do, some guidance I can give them, but it's much more of them processing through those emotions in those sessions. That's the main point there of counseling. Now, that is something, again, that I'm going to be bound by my licensure to be able to do that type of process. However, there are some people that come into counseling that, yeah, they still benefit from the counseling service. But they're more so looking for some specific skills or specific problems that they have that they want to be able to kind of bounce ideas off of you. And they're very active about trying to solve this specific problem. Again, counseling can be a part of that, but it's not always necessary for you to see a counselor for that. This is usually going to be something that, again, is a problem, but you're not going to be facing major symptoms of of depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, If you come to me and you're like, man, like I'm, I'm really depressed. Like we're not going to do the personal development skills. Like we we need to figure out really what's going on. And if you're in a different state, I'm going to recommend you find somebody else um, to a, a licensed professional to talk to about those things. But 
if you are somebody that is, let's say you're a, a homeschooling parent and yeah, you might be facing a little bit of anxiety, but it's much more like, man, I, I really want to homeschool my kids. I'm, I'm tired of what's they're being taught in the public school system and everything, but what do I do? How do I get started? I can help you with that. Again, I am not saying that I'm the expert, that I have it all figured out, but I can use some of those skills that I have as a counselor, um, some of those interpersonal skills, and be able to help point you into the right direction. Um, Can we help explore together if there are some homeschooling groups that are nearby you? Can we look together online of, okay, what type of, what type of, um, classwork do you want to do? Are there certain um, books that you want your kids to read? Is there certain skills that you would like for your kids to know? What about your schedule? Is Do you have the idea that we're going to do our class teaching from 8 o'clock to 4.30 or whatever? Or do you want to say, hey, you know what? We don't have to do it at a certain time. I want us to sleep in. Let's start our schoolwork at 9 o'clock. These are all things that we can explore together. And there's not going to be one set answer um, for a homeschooling mom. What I might choose to do with, uh, with my family in homeschooling may be different than what you choose to do. But what I do know is staying in this stuck mindset of, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. This is terrible. I'm going to be a terrible mom, terrible dad, whatever. That's not going to be helpful. And I want to help unwind that situation with you. And, and we can explore those ideas together. That's just one example. Um, there, there's also people that maybe they're struggling with their faith in a doubting type of sense. Um, so that's something that we can work together. Like, hey, what what are your beliefs about God? Are you going to a church? Is there, are you struggling? Like, you, you know, you know you're a Christian, but your spiritual discipline's not very good right now. You're, you're failing to read your Bible consistently. Your, your prayer life is really anemic. Uh, you you go to church, but really only once a month. You you don't really feel like you're connecting with your church. These are things we can talk about. Of okay, first off, we need to get that spiritual discipline um, life going. Maybe I can point you in the right direction of some some specific books you can read that can help get those spiritual disciplines in your life going a little bit stronger. Coming up with ways that um, we can communicate concerns, maybe with a, a church member. Maybe that's why you're not going to church as often because you want to avoid that church member. We can talk about ways we can deal with that. But again, it's going to be a very specific problem that you're dealing with. Another um, sphere that I'm targeting is cancel culture. This hits me pretty, pretty, uh, pretty strongly here because, as I've mentioned previously, I ended up losing my job. Not really as a cancel culture thing, but because of a um, a, a health decision that I didn't take the shot. And I know what it's like to have that fear of do something for my values or because I believe in it or keep my job. Maybe you work for a big corporation and their value system is very different than what yours is. And you fear if I speak out, I might lose my job. That's scary. And I tell you what's nice about this format too, especially on this individual concern, but it goes with all of them. Again, this isn't counseling. I'm not billing your insurance, which I don't bill your insurance for even for normal counseling stuff here too. This is an advantage. Your job doesn't have to know about this. Um, If you go through your insurance, if you go through an EAP, uh, employee assistant program, well, those aren't bad things. Don't get me wrong. If you need that help, go take it. 
you are going to have some of those lingering concerns in the back of my head of, uh, is that going to go back to me? Um, is an employer going to see that mental health diagnosis? Is my insurance going to see, oh, they're depressed. Uh-oh, that's not good. With these services, no. that, that nobody knows any of that. It's completely confidential. Um, they, they have no right to any of that information. So if you're concerned with cancel culture and you want somebody to bounce those ideas with, and you don't know who you can talk to at your company, you know you can't talk to HR, you see a coworker over there that thinks maybe they might agree with you, but are they going to snitch on you? You can talk to me about that. We can come up with some strategies of either how can we make your work situation better as is, and also doing some pros and cons. Like, hey, are you willing to speak out? If you do, are you going to lose your job? What's the line of no return that, hey, if they do this, I can't stay here anymore. And we can also explore other job options. Um, maybe we need to go on uh, Red Balloon together. Uh, that's a website that is kind of like a non-woke uh, employer and employee job search there. Um, we can discuss those ideas together. So don't suffer in silence. Um, you can you can talk to me. Again, if you're suffering in very um, intense psychological concerns, anxiety, depression. Definitely, if you're having any thoughts of harming yourself, anything like that, these personal development skills courses, these, these are not going to be for you. Um, you need to get a licensed professional, professional. But if you just have some of these specific concerns and you don't know who to bounce them off with, you've tried counseling, but they were woke and you don't really want to talk to them, come check me out. Um, and if, if you know of anybody that might could benefit from this, please share this page with them. Again, I've got that link down below, both the uh, Christian Counselor and Counseling Startup um, page there, and then also the Personal Development State or page there. My goodness, uh, talking over myself here. Um, but I got that all linked down below, so feel free to share that. And let me know any other ideas. Um, I'm always open to more feedback. Are there some specifics that you think that I should shoot for? Um, are there any other ideas? Are there some more groups of these type of ideas that you think people would, would really hold on to? Let me know. Um, I, I would love to explore more of that. And um, I want to be able to think outside the box and not just do work in the, in the therapy room, but do some things outside of that scope that I can use some of that, again, wisdom and understanding I have from my counseling background and apply it to other areas. So very excited about this. Um, it's probably, like I said, going to look different in the future, but definitely let me know some of your feedback on these pages and, and I would love to hear from you. All right. That being said, we'll go to the meat section. The meat section. Okay. Well, today on the meat section, I have a, a neat guest here today. Um, this is Shelby. And Shelby, I just blanked on this because I had it written down. What is your last name, Shelby? Sean. Shelby Sean. I knew that. I knew that from your, your Instagram, but uh didn't have it written down. So apologize about that. So Shelby hey, Sean. Oh, go oh ahead. sorry. I was going to say, I called you Duncan when That's I first right. met you. So that... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. It is confusing because it doesn't put okay on there. It does look like that's just my name. So no no problems there. <laughs> so Shelby is currently working as a marriage and family therapist candidate in the Oklahoma City area. She has a focus on trauma and infertility. 
I really like this next part. She considers herself to be a Christian that happens to be a therapist and not the other way around. I think that's really important. Her faith is what guides her therapy practice. She is also a homeschool mother of three, ages five, three, and nine months, and is happily married to her high school sweetheart of 10 years. She also loves to sing, play sports, and then most importantly, she likes to watch The Office. Gotta add that that last important part on there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Shelby, it's great to have you on today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, like I mentioned off camera, and those of you that watch the show know I kind of started off with the goofy type of question since this is the meat section of the podcast. So Shelby, what is your favorite kind of meat? You know, it, it was funny. My dad asked me what I was going to say during this section because I shared with him that I was going to be on the podcast. Uh -huh. And I was like, everybody else says steak. And so I didn't want to say steak. <laughs> but that really is like if I were to go to a restaurant, um, I would probably choose steak. And usually it's like a filet with like just uh -huh. a little bit of pink. Um, okay. and, and that has changed. I used to like it like more bloody. Um, mm -hmm. but then after my pregnancies, I don't know, I can't, I just can't do it. So now it's like more cooked. Okay. Um, but I would, I would say steak or salmon. I really like a good salmon also. Okay. So. So with, with the salmon, do you just like it by itself? Do you put it with anything? So I like it over like a bed of rice. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why, but like that just, there's something about that. Um, and just some asparagus or, you know, just some sort of vegetable on the side, but nothing, nothing super fancy. I don't know if there was something else you were looking for with that question. No, I'm not super no. fancy, so... <laughs> no, I was just curious because, you know, steak is one of those, like, especially around here, like, okay, we, we kind of know what goes around, around with steak and not that mm -hmm. nobody eats salmon. I just don't always know what, what the meal is with that. So I, I was just curious see, what, yeah. what you do with it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, an another uh, kind of sillier one before we get into more of the serious discussion uh, with the office. Now that is something obviously a lot of people um, are, are a big fan of. And my wife and I, we haven't rewatched it in a while. That was just like our, it's on in the background doing dishes type of show for, for some time. Um, yeah. But for you, where is your, like, where's the meat of the show for you where you feel like it's absolute at its best? Oh man, that's a hard that's a hard question because I like different parts of it for different reasons. Uh -huh. And I'm one of those like nearly cult followers of the office <laughs> where sure. like when other people are like, I don't like this about this part of, of the show. I'm like, no, but you, you got to understand. <laughs> and I have like an explanation for it. Um, man, I can give you my favorite episode. Um, okay. My favorite episode is the casino episode. Um, That's a good where one. Jim and Pam finally get together because I just how you everybody's waiting for it and it finally yeah. happens. Now the circumstances are not so great. Um, she's engaged and then kissing another guy. Um, sure. But yeah, that's the start of their of their relationship. So yeah, that it's it's interesting for me, and I I can't really be fully um, objective about it because my experience watching watching it was different. I. 
the first few seasons that went on, I wasn't watching it live. Then I did watch it live through like season three or four, somewhere around there. I watched it live for a little bit and then I tailed it off and didn't watch the last few seasons. So I watched those later on. So my experience is a little skewed um, based off of that, but I'm always pretty tied to season three, kind of for what you're sharing there. You know, that's when uh, he's dating Karen and there's that whole Pam conflict and that's Mm -hmm. just really heightened during that whole season. I I just really appreciated that. But just I've going back and rewatching just my enjoyment of episodes. I probably like season five the best. I just feel like there's a lot of really solid, good episodes in that season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think each season has like its unique strong points. I know everybody like season one for a lot of people is what Mm -hmm. turns them off of the show. If you hear a lot of people say like, oh, I could never get into it. It's because they couldn't get past that first season or at least the first couple of episodes of that season because it's kind of just dry, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It is, it is a different, it's pretty much a different show. Those first couple episodes, no doubt. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, lot, lot, lots of fun uh, office discussion. I'm sure we can <laughs> continue to get into. Um, that being said, let's kind of transition into just something I like to ask all of, uh, whether on the show or honestly just in general um, with other counselors, just because this is a um, pretty specific field to get into. And I think it takes a certain type of person. So, Tell me just your journey about becoming a counselor. Like, how how did you end up here? So it's kind of funny. Um, it I call it like a happy accident, <laughs> and and you would hope that it's like more. There's more thought put into it, which there was the further I got down that road. Um, but I initially went to OBU for my undergrad, and I was going to be a physical therapist. Because I had played soccer, you know, growing up um, since the time I was five. And I played club once I got into high school. And then I went to OBU to play soccer there on scholarship. And so um, I was like, all right, I'm going to help athletes, you know, um, heal and get get back into their games. Um, And that lasted one semester. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, okay, there's too much math too much math in this this major, and math is not for me. I'm definitely more literary, Um, and so I was like, I don't think I could even, like, I don't think I could ever graduate if I I went down this path, so I was like, I'm going to do something else, and so I was looking through the different majors, and psychology just caught my eye. I had always been interested in you know, why people think the way they do. Um, Lots of my friends were always like, you're such a good listener. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe I could do that. I think I would enjoy that. I I like talking with people. And so um, I decided to get into it. And once I got into it, it was like, there was no going back. Um, And so I, I graduated with my um, bachelor's in psychology and then just went like straight into master's at OBU. It was easier because I already knew all of the professors and everything. And so I went straight into it and I really had a passion for marriage and families in particular. So I was like, well, this is perfect then. I'll just go and be a marriage and family therapist. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's actually a a few similarities there and just my own uh, story that 
for one, I initially didn't go to school to to do psychology or, or to become a counselor myself either. It just, yeah, I, I took a class and just enjoyed it and uh, kind of similar to you in that sense. I just enjoyed it. So I decided to keep going. And I was kind of that similar person in friend groups that people would come to to talk about issues. So like, yeah, let's let's just go down that road. And I think I mentioned to, this to you before that I went to OBU for my undergrad as well. And when I was looking for graduate school, I can't remember when OBU officially restarted their program, but they hadn't, they were not officially going yet. So I I was planning on just staying, waiting for OBU to get their program going and do my Mm -hmm. master's there for LMFT, but ended up going to OU and got my LPC uh, that way. So it worked out fine, but um, that does kind of lead into my, my next question here. And this is really why I was intrigued talking to you. Um, When did you graduate? Let let me start with that. So I graduated 2018. Okay. So, you know, not, not too terribly long ago, um, (laughs) just a few years ago. And for reference, um, I graduated in 2013. So grand scheme of things, not that far apart. Um, Mm -hmm. And like really from my postgraduate, you, um, I've been out of school for 10 years. So you were kind of right there in the middle of my journey of being a counselor. And that's why I'm really curious because in that time frame, not that there wasn't leftist leaning ideals in my training, there certainly were, yeah. but things have really just culturally and in the field in general have seemed to really taken a massive leftward dive in in a lot of ways. So just kind of walk me through your training a little bit, specifically being at OBU. Like, did you feel like some of those leftist ideals sunk into your training? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, you know, going to a, a Christian university, I really, I didn't expect it, but during my undergrad, even I experienced a lot of like left leaning, especially in my like sociology classes and things like that. Um, there was a lot of those views. And so I think I kind of, um, like there was a little bit of culture shock when I was in undergrad of like, Oh, this isn't as like Christian and conservative as I thought it was going to be. Um, and so I think I was a little more prepared going into my master's, especially in this field of like, okay, this may not be as conservative and Christian as I think it's going to be. Um, and it, it was like, there were Christian values in there, but it was very much a progressive Christian value, Mm, um, that was in there. So, um, biblically Christian, not so much. Um, and so there, there wasn't a whole lot of, um, like transgender stuff going on yet when mm-hmm. I was in school, it was mainly abortion and homosexuality were like the two things that were kind of like, Oh, we really need to, um, like be accepting, be affirming. Like, um, you can't judge you you can't try to convince someone not to have an abortion and you just need to be there for them through their, you know, through that journey. Um, I remember that. (laughs) So I, I was in this, I don't know, maybe we can get into it later. Um, but just like what it was like trying to be a conservative in that space. Um, but that's kind of what it was like. 
Yeah, I, I I wanted to ask just a little bit more specifically on the abortion side of things. Like, mm-hmm. again, particularly in my undergrad time at, at OBU, um, certainly some leftward drift in some situations, but um, probably not near as much as what, what you're um, describing there. But as we well know, the, the topic of homosexuality, that has drastically shifted over the last 10, 15 years. And mm-hmm. when I was in my undergrad, I remember actually looking at articles at the time and it was still like, I don't know, 60, 40 or something was against uh, gay marriage in the country at, at large. So it was still yeah. a, largely unpopular, but it was rapidly changing. So mm-hmm. That side of things in your education, again, I'm not saying I I agree with it, but I understand because that was already kind of going that way, um, even during my my time. The abortion side of things, though, at at a Baptist university in Oklahoma, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, So. Mm Was that mainly just in the the humanities type of classes? Was was there like activism things on campus? Like, just tell me a little bit more of that about that abortion side in education. Yeah, so not not so much like activism on campus. More so um, in my human sexuality class um, was where it kind of came up. Um, I actually did a presentation on it in that class. Um, and it did not go over well, (laughs) um, just because of, uh, the language that I used, which was baby. Um, and there were points taken off for that. Um, and, and, and some of the other things, um, that even trying to just say certain scientific things like, oh, the heartbeat like starts here and da, da, da. It, it, it was kind of like, we don't want to talk about when you think that it becomes a life. We just want you to like, it, and I think there was an, yeah, I had mentioned that there were also late term abortions, um, mm-hmm. where you have to like tear the baby apart to get yes. them out of the womb. And that did not go over well. That was like, no, this isn't, this isn't factual. A majority of abortions don't happen um, as a DNC. A lot of them are too early to be that stage. And so it was just very uh, shocking, to be honest, um, especially because the professor was a professing Christian. Um, and so I challenged a lot of my professors in that way. Um, but when I did, I got reprimanded um, through grades. So Interesting. What was there any? Obviously, your grades matter. I mean, that that's a, certainly a, a way to change your mind about something if you're going to get a worse grade. Was there any mm-hmm. other repercussions of like, uh, you know, you're going to get sent to the dean's office or anything like that, or was it just strictly grades? Um, it was strictly grades. Once I started realizing that no matter how much I kind of spoke out, they were just going to dock my my grades. I was like, oh. Maybe I should just get through and then I can make a difference as a therapist. Mm, Um, And so that's kind of like where my head was at during that time. Interesting. And what what about the the classmates? Um, Did anybody say, hey, I'm on your side? Was everybody against you? Did everyone just keep their head down and and be quiet? Like, what was that like? 
<laughs> um, so it depended. There, there was in that human sexuality class, there was another woman there. She was um, maybe like mid-30s. So at the time, she was a little older than a lot of the other people in the class. Um, and she was very much against against abortion. And every time the professor was like, well, we need to just like be okay with if they come in and like say they want an abortion, like we need to just um, – kind of help them process that journey. Uh, she was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and so in that aspect, I, I did have at least two that I can think of right now, um, that were definitely pro-life. Um, I think maybe there could have been more, but they were too afraid to say anything about it. In my other classes, um, like, I specifically remember a lot of critical race theory happening. They wouldn't have called it that back in 2018 because I don't know if right. that term was really coined yet. Um, but the ideas were definitely being pushed. And in those classes, um, no no way uh, I could have said anything without getting yelled at. There were some pretty um, shocking things that were said in that class. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What was this more of like a sociology type of class? I'm trying to remember what the name of that class was, but I think it was having to do with diversity, kind of like working with different um, population groups and things yeah. like that. And um, our professor just happened to be African-American. Um, and so that was like a cherry on top where if you disagreed, it was like, oh, so you're going against the person who's experienced all this oppression and uh so there yeah there was just um anytime i did say anything it was usually through our we had like weekly journal entries um and we had to talk about different things that we um had discussed in the class and kind of our thoughts on it and so that's kind of where i would like get it out get my thoughts out um and it it wasn't i don't think it was as bad as it could have been maybe at some other universities but um, it wasn't taken well. I could yeah. tell that that I was not her favorite student. <laughs> yeah, that that's just what's so remarkable to me. Of that, again, a lot of those ideals were still present during my schooling, but just the the quickness of that in a short few years and in a Christian university, you add that on top of mm -hmm. it. I don't know mm -hmm. what my experience would have been. Um, I was at the state university for grad school at, at OU. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if they would have passed me. I don't know. Like it, it's completely different. And mm -hmm. I, I shared this on, on my last uh, episode that again, this is part of that jarringness that, when I went to OU, my advisor was, I'm pretty certain, was a lesbian. I don't know that, but I was pretty sure. And when she asked me in my interview question, who, what is a demographic you would struggle working with? And I told her was somebody that's homosexual. That was the big topic of the day, as I didn't say I wouldn't work with them, but I was honest, like with my yeah. value system, that that would be a struggle. and. What was great about it is she was so appreciative of me sharing that, of being honest, being genuine, not coming from a point of, you know, 
I would never work with them, but just, hey, this is a struggle of mine. Even though we had vastly different value systems, she was yeah. appreciative of that. And mm-hmm. I don't think that exists anymore. Maybe it does, but yeah. that type of agree to disagree mindset in the university seems to be extremely lacking. So that's concerning. That's concerning for future therapists, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It Especially, like you were saying, there is no agree to disagree. It's um, if you're on the other side, you're the enemy. Like you're evil for having different values. So, yes. Uh, now, as you mentioned, you kind of hinted at um, certainly there was in, in 2018 and that whole time frame, um, some of the transgender talk was really heating up. But these past couple years has just been through the roof. So mm-hmm. you haven't seen it as much in your training, but I'm sure you've seen it at least somewhere in the field, just uh, being out working in, in your own um, practice and everything. So what what have you kind of seen in your experience with the gender affirmation movement? Well, culturally, I mean, it's taking over. But mm-hmm. in terms of just like me practicing as a therapist, um, we're in Oklahoma, so not a ton of like me personally. Um, I, I have had it in my office. Um, and in that instance, I mean, it's a really tricky situation on like, how do I navigate that? Um, and like I said, thankfully it's not too much, (laughs) too much experience in having to like navigate that. Um, but I will say like, at least at the place I am now and, um, my colleagues, I'm definitely, uh, I am the black sheep, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. They, they would, if I were to say like, I do not affirm this uh, and just say that outright, which a lot of them probably already uh, assume that because they know that I'm a conservative Christian. um, They would probably get heated at least a few of them. Um, But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've seen a whole lot of it just where I'm at practicing. Um, but from what I see online, um, and just in, in therapy circles out other places, it's scary. It it is. It's, it really is likened to, for those of you that aren't in the inside of that, I mean, there's, there's therapists, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook groups, all of that stuff that's out there, or just if you attend a conference or whatever, um, there's just own little culture in in the counselor world. And Mm -hmm. in so many of these, think of your, think of looking at your libs of TikTok type of video out there, or uh, just some of those memes that you get of kind of making fun of leftist ideology or whatever. Think of that, but in a non-ironic way, and you get a lot of that, like mm-hmm. not just we need to uh, be helpful to people in the LGBTQ community. It's like we need to be actively pushing the agenda across the goal mm-hmm. line. It's it's remarkable. And to Shelby's point, it, it could be quite intimidating to mm-hmm. say anything. You, you don't want to get the mob thrown thrown against you. 
Um, so it, in those cases, if say, uh, at your job or wherever, somebody does come up and say, Hey, are, are you, are you gender affirming? Um, don't you think this is important or whatever? Uh, either one, how would you handle that? Or two, wh- why do you think a helpful way for somebody that's in that situation? How, how do you think they should handle that? Yeah, so I actually kind of had that happen to me. Um, it, it wasn't an adult, um, so it was a teenager, and I had actually seen this um, person a couple of months, and then they took a break and then came back. Um, but it was when they came back, they were like a completely different person. Um, and that was pretty shocking. And so getting to the bottom of that, we finally got to this place where she, you know, she asked me, do you affirm like LGBTQ? And so I, in a like super calm voice told her my values and that I consider myself a Christian and that I just, I don't affirm, you know, those things. Um, and of course then the, oh, so you're uh, homophobic came out. And I was like, oh, okay, great. We're going down this road. Um, <laughs> so then I had to, you know, psychoeducate. Um, phobia is a fear. I don't, I'm not afraid of gay people. Um, I actually, my brother's actually gay. And so tried to just like uh, meet her where she was um, and show her that I'm compassionate towards her, even though she's about to tell me whatever this thing was. And she, she did, she ended up saying like, well, I think I'm a boy. And, um, that was whenever I had to have the hard conversation of, well, if that's the road you want to take, I can't be the person to do that for you. And I don't even think that you would, you would be comfortable doing that with me because it seems like you already kind of are feeling a little uncomfortable and, and you don't really trust me as your therapist. And so let's get you somebody who you do trust. And so let me find some referrals for you. And that's kind of how I handled it. Um, I, I feel like she was at a point where any kind of talking her down from that, um, was going to be seen as conversion therapy or, um, you know, I just, I think that it would have been met with a lot of hostility. So I didn't at that point. Um, and that was the first time that had ever happened to me. <laughs> that was like yeah. totally new scenario. And I'm like still a new therapist. I haven't like been doing this forever. <laughs> I'm like in uh-huh. year four. So I, that's how I handled it in the moment, whether it was right or wrong. I don't know, but that's how I did it. So it, it, it's a tough situation and I'll, I'll be honest i haven't actually had quite that situation um i was in fact this is kind of the precipice of me starting my own practice um i was working at this place that just for part-time and they didn't require therapists to do pronouns which i've it's just kind of been a personal uh i don't know value or whatever of mine that i just yeah. i won't do it i i it's very clear what sex I am. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a, a pronoun. I, I just not going to do it. So, um, they didn't make me do it, but they made the clients do it. So my thinking is, well, that's just not going to be very far down, down the road. So it went ahead and got out of there, yeah. but I had of all of those, there was only one that was, uh, not your normal 
he, she bought everything. And it was a they, them. And my saving grace in that is I've actually realized unless it's like your client where they are point blank asking you, and it's really a, that's really a gotcha type of question because they want Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're in on that. Unless they do that, it really doesn't come up. Like I -hmm. saw they, them, I knew that on there, but I I don't call any of my clients by their pronouns. I I either use their name or, Hey, how you doing? Like it really, it just didn't come up. And this is how I can kind of um, section out of through my faith, particularly in this position, because I wasn't acting as an explicit Christian counselor at that job. So I I do give a little bit more um, flexibility in how I approach that. But if I have somebody that's transgender, somebody that's gay, somebody that's whatever, um, and living and goodness, if it's a heterosexual couple that is living together, um, something that I am disagreeing with, but they're coming for something that is not directly related to that, that person mm-hmm. that says that they're they, them, but they're having anxiety over their job. Well, let's talk about anxiety at your job. And mm-hmm. maybe if we go a little bit deeper, maybe we get somewhere else with that. But if I just helped you deal with some basic anxiety, I don't feel that there's any, you know, I didn't, didn't uh, fudge on my value system or anything like that in that case, because I wasn't saying actively, yeah, yeah, you're a girl. If they're a boy, that, that what you're doing is great. I'm cheering you along mm-hmm. with that. And that is the much more of the typical therapist reaction. It's not just to say, oh, there's this transgender person here. I better give them care no matter what. It's mm-hmm. I need to actively encourage what they're doing. And that's yeah. that's wrong. And but mm-hmm. that's that's what we're pushing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard to like being a conservative Christian in this space because less so in Oklahoma, but other states, they're required to yes. affirm like by law, they could lose their license. And so thankfully that's not the case in Oklahoma um, because then I would not have a license. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's the, like the, the line that we have to toe is like, okay, how do we, how do we love and show compassion and help these people that really need help? Um, but also like stay true to our values. That's, that's a hard line sometimes. It is very difficult. And yeah, you're, you're exactly right, though, that in many other states, it is incredibly difficult or impossible um, to explore issues that could legitimately be at the center of it. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm hopeful. I know Oklahoma has passed some laws already, but I'm hopeful we get more specific into conversion therapy and what that really means. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'll admit I haven't fully done this research yet, but I'm planning on really getting into the origins of what what is uh, conversion therapy? What was it historically? What is it now? Because mm-hmm. a lot of what I understand, there's a lot of things that get grouped together that basically we're, we're, we use that as a catch-all for everything bad when it may not inherently all be the same thing. Like mm-hmm. if somebody that was gay goes into the office and we say, we're going to shock you until you're straight, then sure. Should we ban that? Yeah. That's, 
that's that's bad but somebody that comes in whether they're gay straight transgender whatever and like oh well tell me about your experience of that and getting deeper into it that's Mm -hmm. that's not adversive that's our job that's what we're supposed to do i thought anyways (laughs) right yeah it's there's there's no um there's no exploration of or like getting to the root of the issue it's all just surface level oh you're you're wanting to be a different gender okay let's push that and like that's our main priority um and that just goes against everything that i feel like we were taught in school at least um even if that was more of a liberal education we were still you know you need to find the root of of the issue so yeah no no doubt about it and yeah, I, I'm. I would say there's a, there's many times I've had this kind of internal conversation and sometimes out loud conversation of, yeah, we're in Oklahoma, we are fairly protected, but is that always going to be the case? Um, what What about the people that are on the board? The people on the board aren't the same people that are running the the state. So, right. What if that does happen? What if I do lose my license and I think that's somebody, anybody that is not even just openly conservative Christian, but somebody that is at least somewhat moderate. Um, right. You need to think about, and, and it's not a, you know, live in fear and walks on, walk on pins and needles of I'm going to lose my job, but just start to think through what am I willing to risk my career on um, and if that happens, what would I do? And what are some ways that I can help prepare should that happen? Um, mm-hmm. I unfortunately, um, in a sense, fortunately in another way, have already had somewhat of, a, of an experience of losing my job because uh, back last year, um, I ended up having to lose a job because of, of the vaccine mandate. I worked at the hospital and I technically didn't lose my job, but I was about to. So I I took another Mm -hmm. one. But that experience always that taught me that I cannot just be beholden to one job and act like that is going to protect me forever. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just some realities that you need to be extra prepared. So I say all that to say um, on your end, you've experienced some of this hecticness craziness that's going on in in the culture and in our profession so for Mm -hmm. you if say tomorrow you have to affirm everybody or you lose your job have you thought that through of what you might do in that situation um yeah i i would (laughs) this might sound bad but i would gladly give away my job like i would gladly um i've actually told my husband, I'm like, sometimes I wonder why I even went down the road of being a therapist, not because I don't love it. Um, but because I love being a mom more and teaching my kids. Um, and that has been taking me away from that. It's only part time. It's three days a week, but still. Um, and so it's one of those things where I, I I know God put me on this path for a reason. And so I'm like riding out the wave and trying to figure out where it's going. Um, But if that were the case, I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where my husband 
makes enough to kind of cover cover me. So it's not like I need to um, have an income and be bringing that in in order for us to live. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that way. Um, but I, I do, I do like to stay busy. And so, um, I, I do have a business plan in the works, um, right now. So yeah, I'm starting my own little business and we'll see where that goes. I don't expect it to get big or anything, but (laughs) I I think it's great though, uh, to have those, those plans, and action um, instead. Of, and that's something that I've really been trying to harp on really Christians, conservatives, just in general, not necessarily just counselors that you can't just be reactive. Like we, we yeah. can't just say, Oh, like Bud Light's got Dylan Mulvaney on there. The culture's terrible. Like we can agree that, yeah, that's silly. That That's a dumb thing to do, but don't just wait for things to get so bad and then get mad about it. Like get mad, get upset, but do something like, like Mm -hmm. be proactive and actually get out ahead of some of these things instead of waiting for devastation and just being upset. Like that doesn't really do us any good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. And I I have some uh, people in my life that I know that, uh, this, their personality is to not be like, not be confrontational or to not like be engaged in conflict. And unfortunately that's like, that's just near impossible in today's culture as a Christian. Um, you're going to have to be in conflict with people and the culture if you're going to stay true to and obey what God says in the Bible. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to get rough, but yeah, I think that's why, you know, the Bible talks about putting on our armor and that we're fighting a spiritual battle. I mean, there's a lot of heavy words that he uses in that. And, and so, you know, it's not going to be just an easy walk in the park and we know that. So. I think that's incredibly important that we look at this, not just in the cultural lens, although that's important that, like like we were just talking about, even in our times of being training, the, the culture has shifted pretty dramatically. So we, we don't want to ignore that. But mm-hmm. biblically is where we need to get our wisdom from. And mm-hmm. Jesus said that the world hates you because it hated me first. You know, like mm-hmm. we shouldn't be expected to have the world bow down to us. Now, again, our, I think our culture has been blessed in a lot of ways for many years. Um, but that's clearly not happening right right now. And we need to not just whine about it, but to get our strength from Christ and to, like you said, put on the armor and go out there and fight because the, the world's not going to do it for you. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. Tell me a little bit about just specifically, this isn't on the counseling end, but your homeschooling journey. Was that always your plan? Did you always want to homeschool your kids? No. So um, that really, I feel like 2020 was like an awakening for a lot of people. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think I had, I think there was a little piece of me that wanted to homeschool before then. Um, but it was really in 2020 when that like was just, they kind of made the decision for me. Um, but also, uh, I, I feel like that's when I really got saved. Like I grew up Christian my whole life, 
but I feel like it, it didn't click for me until 2020. Um, and so there's just been a lot of like sanctification process happening for me in the past couple of years, which has been really cool, um, to experience. But I came across this guy named Vadi Bakum. I think I'm saying his name right. And Uh he's just so cool, but he like stirs a fire in you. (laughs) And he has this series that's called Caesar. Um, I think it's a two part series. And I listened to that and I was like, how can anyone put their kids in school after listening to this man talk about this? Um, but it was just about how, you know, we were meant to steward our kids and we were meant to be their teachers, not the government, not Caesar. And I think that actually kind of ties into what we're talking about with all the things that are going on in culture. It's because we've sent our kids that we're supposed to be training up and sharpening as arrows and instead what Vadi Bakum says he says Caesar is sharpening the arrows and pointing them back at us and that is just so true of of the culture today and what we're seeing so anyways he's awesome (laughs) yeah fantastic no doubt um he he was uh certainly one of the saving graces for me in 2020 when I felt that I just I thought I had gone crazy at that point, but I'm pretty sure that was just the whole world around us. Um, So certainly a same (laughs) voice for sure. Um, Yes. We we had a very similar experience, my wife and I. Um, Our our kids are similar ages. Did you say five, three, and nine months? Is that your kiddo? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we've got a three-year-old as our oldest, and then a, a one-and-a-half-year-old son, and then we actually have another son that's on the way. He'll he'll be born in in August or September, and during that time frame, like the first, the first ball to roll there, because we were both, uh, well, I was public schooled and she was, uh, she was halfway homeschooled when she was younger, but went to a private school and we were planning on going to public school for the kids. Uh, my wife worked in a public school. Um, we, I grew up here in Duncan and Duncan's by and large, you know, Pretty, still a pretty decent town. So I thought, no, no problems. We're, we're fine here in Duncan. That, that, there'll be no problems here. And then we just hear more and more stories, both locally of some things that teachers are doing. Um, and then just throughout the country, there was one specific story um, that we were watching in uh, Allie Beth Stuckey's podcast. It's been a few years ago. And she was sharing the story of this kid and I think it was somewhere in Wisconsin that transitioned in school um, just like with names and stuff. And they didn't tell the parents at all, like mm-hmm. didn't have to tell them one little bit and later learned like the school could even take this kid to like Planned Parenthood. I'm like what on earth? No, <laughs> you're, you're not going to do that to my kid. And yeah, that one story that, that it didn't stop there that we heard some stuff from Vody Balkum. Um, we've gotten deeper. In fact, I got over here. Um, we got into, uh, we, we listened to founders ministries. So uh, Tom Askell and um, they, they've had Vody Balkum on there sometimes, but um, through just a, a lot of some good godly wisdom, we're like, yeah, why not? And, and it, it didn't become a, at first, when that Alibeth Stuckey's story, that which was good, um, but it was like, oh gosh, like we really got to prepare ourselves, and it was kind of a pressure of sorts, like, oh, how are we yeah. going to do this? But mm-hmm. 
after hearing some of these other great stories, it's like, no, we get to do this. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're changed from uh, mandatory to like, yeah, this, how are we going to structure this? This is going to be so much fun. We can take the kids mm-hmm. outside and do science projects. Like it turned into a joy. And I, I'm curious for you, did you have a similar type of feel? Uh, were you always excited? Did you feel pressure? Just kind of share more on that end. Yeah, I think maybe a little bit initially, kind of like you guys, just um, seeing what was happening in the culture and um, with the vaccines and all that. Uh, But really, after listening to the Caesar uh, videos, it was more of like a conviction of like, um, no, I like, like you were saying, I get to like sharpen these arrows and like train my kids up biblically and and train them so that they can go out and they can withstand the culture and like not be moved have God as like their firm foundation and not be moved so I think it was definitely a lot like your story so yeah that's great and and it's stories like like these that part of why I wanted to really make that a part of my focus of of my counseling practice with homeschool moms because there are a lot that see the school board meetings um, and goodness, some of those are just shocking, like where they read books in the library and the school board is shocked. Like, where did you get this book? It was in the library. Like it's Mm -hmm. literal porn that is in the library. And so some of these families will hear those stories, some that aren't even Christian and like, Oh, I got to get them out. And that's good. But now what? And, and there's some of that overwhelmness, that anxiety, um, particularly with moms, like, am I doing a good enough job? And I want more moms and, and dads to feel, again, that joy, like you're talking about, uh, because it is a, an incredible feat to get to inject your children with that amount of wisdom and learning and make education fun. It really is a, a neat experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, Now I won't pretend like I haven't had those moments. I'm like, maybe I should call Johnny up and get get some (laughs) counseling. Um, Because there are moments where I feel like, oh, I'm like, can I do this? Can I really, you know, teach my kids all that they need to know? Because it just feels like so much sometimes. Um, But then I have to just like, slow down. My kids are five and three and nine months. Like they don't have to know everything about the world right now. So, um, yeah, I just have to put it in perspective for myself. Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. And, and every, that that's part of that too, is that normalization. Yeah. You're going to have bad days. Like we were going for a drive earlier this morning and my three-year-old was just screaming and it was annoying and I didn't, like being in the van alone with her during that time. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I don't love her and don't love those experiences. It was, it was a rough moment. So uh, that is a piece of homeschool moms, especially kind of lighten that load a little bit. Like it's okay if they don't know their multiplication tables yet or whatever, it's not the end of the world. They're going to get there. Yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Gotcha. I'm also curious, just another one of those big cultural things that, seems to be taking a back seat here lately just because we don't even know what a man and a woman is anymore but just the topic of of feminism in general um mm-hmm. 
I would imagine some of your classmates and um, colleagues, man, you could do so much more if you just went full time, you spent more time and energy to getting your own practice doing. You're really selling yourself short by spending more time at home. Have you experienced much of that and, and kind of what's your uh, your thoughts and, and advice on when particularly young women encounter some of those feminist type of thoughts? Thankfully, I don't think I've had too many. The My bosses, even though we have different um, different views about certain things, I'd say they're pretty um, they're pretty cool about you know, just the way I've decided to structure things. I go in three days a week and they're only half days. Um, and they're like, they've been super flexible. And even when I had my son, um, back in July, like they were like, take off as much as you need, um, things like that. Um, and so I haven't from my colleagues at least had a lot of that, like push for, um, you know, kind of boss babe culture or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I would say, and I'm sorry, I, it was a little bit, um, like glitchy for a second. And so I didn't quite hear the end of that. Um, I think he was asking me, um, if I had any advice for, okay. For, for people who are experiencing kind of that pressure to do that. Um, I mean, I would say take it with a grain of salt um, and really follow your intuition, especially like Christians. Um, I think that generally speaking, women are probably going to feel more fulfillment being a mom and like doing that duty. Um, And I feel like the culture has... Um, kind of downplayed that and almost made it a negative thing. They say, oh, you're just a mom. Or people say like, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Um, And I hate that Um, because it's like the most important job. Um, And it's like the hardest. Like doing therapy is easy compared to being a mom. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I would say embrace it and, and kind of let the rest of that go. Like let what the culture thinks go. Um, and, and really just focus, I know it sounds cheesy, but just focus on what God thinks of you rather than everybody else. Cause even in a Christian family, um, there were people who were questioning like, Oh, you want to homeschool? Like, are you sure you mm-hmm. like you? Oh, you just want to stay at home. So, um, yeah, even in Christian circles, there's a little bit of, of that. It's like kind of bleeding into our Christian circles a little bit, but, um, yeah, I would say just stand strong in that, in, in where you're feeling led. So, we, we certainly have had some similar experiences, again, in Christian circles. Mm-hmm. When we first were, were having my daughter, we, we were still weren't even planning on homeschooling at this point. But in Sunday school, again, in fairly small town in Oklahoma, in Sunday school, again, I can't stress that enough, when my wife said she wasn't going back to work. Um, that was like, just, she was stared at like, what's wrong with you um, mm. for not going back. And they're like, Oh, just for like the summer. No, like for, 
for several years. Um, at the time, we were going to wait till the kids were like 10 or something. But now she's like, no, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, that in those circles, yeah, you would think, oh, they would be celebrating. And I, I don't think they meant any ill will. I, I really don't. Right. But just that, yeah, that culture type of instinct really has infected a lot of those areas of the church. And that's something my wife and I have talked about. I love my kids. And I feel like compared to other dads, especially, I do try to intentionally spend time alone with my kids. I will never have the relationship with my kids that my that my kids have with their mom. I, I won't. She has by far the most influence on our children than anybody ever will. And that's incredible. Like that's, that's a gift. And why we want to say to moms or make moms feel pressured. Oh, I'm just a stay at home, stay at home mom. Oh, we're not sending them. We're homeschooling actually. And and feel real defensive mm-hmm. on that. That's just so yeah. sad because that's such an important role. Yeah. And to that point, I think a lot of it also comes from just the negative view that a lot of people have of children and like the, um, I mean, you kind of hear like the mommy culture, like, Oh, I need a wine or, um, like, Oh, these kids all day long. And it's like a joke to complain about your kids and like how awful it is to be around them all the time or whatever. And I think that that weighs on other moms who maybe were considering like, Oh, I, I think I would love to be a stay-at-home mom, but then they hear all these things about, oh my gosh, you just wait till blah, blah, blah. You just wait. Um, And then they're like, oh, wait, do I really, do I really want to be a stay-at-home mom? Is this a blessing? Because it doesn't seem like a blessing when everybody is, is complaining about it. So, yeah. Uh, No, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Um, I think that could even be broadened even further into just marriage as a whole that I I have some friends that are um, still single and they'll talk about people that like, Oh man, like marriage is just the, it's the hardest thing in the whole wide world. And again, just like with raising kids, are there difficulties? Sure. Like if you're sharing your life with somebody, you're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements with your kiddos. You're going to have, times that you're going to butt heads and it's going to be hard at times. Sure. But just because there's difficulties doesn't mean that it's this drag, terrible thing. I right. I tell my friends like, Hey, I'm sorry for you guys that you're still having to date because dating's terrible. Like being married is way easier than, than having to go through meeting new people and everything. So we don't want to take legitimate difficulties and spin them out of control to your point mm-hmm. of, making those that aren't married that don't have kids make it seem like that's a terrible thing. Cause it's not, it's a blessing. Yeah. When, when you, when you kind of broadened it to marriage, I, all I was thinking of is like ball and chain. Like that's what you hear yeah. of. It's like, it's like a, it's like a trap or something marriage um, to a lot of people. And that's just so unfortunate. It's, it's really sad. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, I just kind of look in, in their lives, my, my friends and, um, you know, they're, they're looking and, and, and I feel for them, but, uh, there is a, a sense of loneliness and things like that. And in any 
young single person's life that are actively looking that I don't have to have anymore. So do I, do I have a sense of obligation? I think that's where some of the ball and chain stuff gets in there. Um, Yeah, I do have more obligations. I can't just go run off with my friends without saying anything or just doing what I want. Yeah. that I have more responsibilities. That much is true, but I will take the blessings way over those responsibilities. It's, it's not even close. And yeah, that language of ball and chain and things like that. It's what's meant as a joke. There's, I think it's just really symptom of very unhappy marriages. And yeah. we, that the answer is to have better marriages, not, not fewer marriages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's kind of just, it, it, it shows how when we take God out of the equation, everything just kind of goes downhill. Because, um, yeah. I mean, even, I think I might be getting the numbers a little bit off, but like 75% of Americans consider themselves Christians. Don't quote me on that. But it's a pretty high number. Um, but only 10%, I believe, only 10% have a biblical worldview. And like, that's a huge gap. And so when you take people who say they're Christian, but don't actually live that out and live out those values, then we see the culture that we have and in, in the way that people relate to one another in marriages and in families. Yeah. So no, you're, you're spot on on that too. To play devil's advocate just for a second. What if somebody heard what you said and mm-hmm. said, well, that's just, that's a works-based religion. That's very legalistic. Uh, how, how would you respond to something like that? What's well, very legalistic, like uh, to to feel like you have to have a biblical worldview? Isn't just going to church on Easter saying I'm a Christian? Isn't that good enough? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, faith without works is dead. So, um, if we love somebody, we're going to put in the effort, right? So mm-hmm. if we love God, then we're going to put in the effort and we're going to obey him. And a lot of times um, in marriages, if we're going to like just single that out, um, a lot of times men aren't loving their wives like the church and women are not respecting their husbands and, and being submissive. And so um, I, I think that's what I would say um, to that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great answer because we have, oh, this is something that I, I believe Vadi talks about sometimes. Uh, have you heard him or anyone else say about the 11th, the 11th commandment before? I don't know. Maybe if you say it, I'll, it'll like okay. ring a bell. But I, I think it started in Baptist circles, but the 11th commandment is just being nice is essentially what it is. Oh, okay. And, no, I haven't heard that. And, and I think it started with like, like being nice to other Baptists or something. I, I might be messing with the origin <laughs> on it, but, but I do see that a lot in Christian circles. That is a, a big deal. And you we're seeing the issues here. And I think we saw that in your training, unfortunately at, at OBU that, well, this person that came in with an abortion, we need, we need to be nice to them. We need to be accepting that will absolutely lead into gender affirmation that person, they're going to kill themselves unless you affirm their their gender. We need to be nice. And that's where it's so important what you said earlier about having a biblical worldview. And 
actually living that out and letting the Bible be that source of truth for you, that's going to be your guide. Because if it's just to make the people around you feel better, that's not inherently a biblical thing. A lot of times that's a very unloving thing to do is just to make Mm -hmm. them feel better. And Christians do have to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, absolutely. There, you can't, um, you can't love without the truth. So, I mean, if you're loving somebody, but lying to them, is that really love? Um, and so I think you're right. Like you have to, you have to have that biblical worldview of, okay, what is love? Is it what the culture is telling me is love, which is affirm, 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 or is it what God's telling me is love, which is all these other things. And I would definitely, um, take the definition of the guy who literally created it. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes, no, no doubt about it. Uh, to kind of wrap up here, um, just, If somebody's listening to this or if you run across anybody that is maybe in their bachelor's and they're thinking about becoming a counselor, but they share similar views to us, they're going to be a little bit more conservative, um, professing Christian. What advice would you give to them before they they step into the field? Um, Number one, I would say be educated on the culture stuff that's going on. Um, because like if you're educated, the more confident you can be, um, in yourself, I will say more so in undergrad, but even in, um, my master's when I did speak out, uh, it was, it, it, I probably could have done more, um, and maybe even changed some minds had I maybe been more educated on some of those things. Um, now, if you do speak out um, and it isn't received well, then uh, I hate this because it like goes against my instincts of like being a fighter. Um, <laughs> I say be a lover and a fighter because you need to fight for the truth. Um, but I really would say like if you if you want to become a counselor and make a difference in your clients' lives, you can't be a counselor unless you pass you're, you're, unless you graduate. Um, and so if it takes you like, you know, pretending to be a lefty in your papers, um, so that you can pass and then become a a therapist and then be a conservative therapist for those people who they don't feel like they have anyone to turn to in this space. Um, I feel like that might be the only way out of that. And maybe there's not, I would love if somebody else could tell me a different way to go about that, but um, I don't yeah. know. It's hard. It, it, it's definitely one where you have to pick and choose your battles. And mm-hmm. I think that you're right that if you're going to pick battles, especially publicly, then mm-hmm. y- you better get it right. Don't don't go in. I, I think this is a major critique I have on um, conservatives in general is, again, uh, Dylan Mulvey anything right now. Um, it's silly. It's ridiculous. Like uh, all that stuff is, is true. And not that I've really frequented Bud Light anyways, but they're going to have sales that are going to impact them. Okay. That that's all fine. But if that's it, like if you go in and like, you're going to debate about gender affirmation care and all you have is 
it's dumb that Dylan Mulvaney is on the Bud Light can. You're not going to win. Like you need to have more substance than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Don't be afraid to go into. Uh, this is a lot of what happens in education. Well, that's evidence-based care, or this is the gold standard, or blah blah blah. Go read it. Like go read those studies. Go like go to the first-hand source because a lot of times they'll present it as this is factual and it's a hundred percent good to go but you actually read it and it's really not. So don't assume just because it's in an academic journal or whatever that it's gospel truth, because it may not Mm -hmm. be. So take your time, go into it, but yeah, be wise. Don't, don't just shoot at the hip um, because that's probably not going to end well for you. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like going off on another, another tangent. So I won't, I'll just say one little snippet about it. But follow the money, even in those studies, like, are, yes. are they wanting to get to a particular end goal with that study? Who's funding that study? All those things, like educate yourself all the way to the top is what I would say. Absolutely. Um, that that was something that um, I've kind of shared a little bit before some of my own like COVID journey uh, early, early, early on. I'm talking March, April, 2020, when they started the shutdown, they based it off of this one particular model. And I'm, I'm blanking on the exact name of it, but it was out of the university of Washington. And that was the model legitimately that they used. If we do not shut down, then X amount of people are going to die. And Mm. I remember looking at it and it would have predictions in there. And it was like a, uh, they had so many uh, like confidence intervals, like a 95% confidence interval that by tomorrow in New York City, um, if even if we do intervene, we're going to need between this amount of ventilators and this amount and between this amount of people will die and this amount will die. I remember looking at that and like, oh, that's bad. And then the next day would happen and their predictions were wildly off, like they said it. They had a ninety-five percent chance for it to be within this range, and it was off the scales down low. Like they weren't even close. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at that, and naive me was like, "Oh, well, this is good. They're going to stop the shutdown. We're going to go back to fairly normal. We have these hospitals being built that aren't being used. We're going to be good to go." And clearly, three years later, they finally, just like this week, stopped the COVID emergency. So I very much was way off on uh, what I thought the government would do in that situation. But that was a firsthand live action time of me to look at these numbers and be like, you can give me whatever fluff piece on the news you want, but I'm looking at this. Like it's, it's way off. And once you know who funded that was Bill Gates and to your point that followed the money, He's he's got a lot of incentive to shut down the country and vaccine stuff. And mm-hmm. don't uh, don't allow other people to just interpret the data for you. Go and look at it because mm-hmm. some of that can actually be quite shocking um, to to actually look at. Yeah, yeah. The the mainstream media has been like uh, nothing to me for <laughs> a really long time. There's like just zero trust there. Um, I. 
I pretty much am like, okay, whatever they say, it's probably the opposite. It's true. <laughs> so, like, that's where I'm at with them right now. That's why I watch people like Steven Crowder, which I think I saw a mug that you had. Yeah. Are you a yeah. mug club member? <laughs> well, I am a former mug club member. I might rejoin. Um, that, that was for like a year or so ago. Um, okay. But I had been in the past. Yeah. Yep, I know with all the like Daily Wire stuff and then like him transitioning on to uh, Rumble and what, what's the other thing? I don't remember what it's called. Uh, locals, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then yes, he has yes. like his he has like his own um, thing, but um, a lot of times he, unlike the mainstream media, will tell you, "Here's our sources. Go look yes. at them for yourself." Um, mainstream media does not do that. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, I, I think that's a an excellent point there. And I actually appreciate you bringing that up because this is something that I'm um, going to try to do a better job of just on my own show. Not that obviously I have near the, the following of, of a Steven Crowder, but something that I really appreciate what he has done is he has learned how to use some of the big tech companies um, without compromising his own set of values and everything. And mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of taken that model. And one of the, the negatives of Rumble is it is a little bit difficult to just form a following on Rumble. It's not impossible, but you just don't have the same amount of traffic that just comes in there. But yeah. the great thing about Rumble is you do have some pretty good lasting power. Like once you get that following, like Crowder has, he hasn't missed a beat. Like he's just continuing to grow. Um, but anyways, I, I say that all to say, I'm, I'm going to try to do a better job of messaging that um, I simulcast both of these. Um, I, I do this on YouTube and I'll continue to do so. But the exact same show is on Rumble as well. And I do that in part because the first few episodes, I'm like, do I mention vaccine? and just stumbling mm. over words and that's silly yeah. like I, I don't want to do that so just yeah. know that um if that ever does get shut down here then uh, rubble won't won't take that down yeah yep okay well any other uh thoughts questions things that you wanted to share with the audience before we go today um i think just one uh, if you're interested in researching more of the like transgender um, stuff uh, and more specifically just resources and research um, and some like detransition stories, there is a website called sexchangeregret.com. Um, and the guy who started it uh, was transgender for a long time, I think like 40 years. Um, and then he detransitioned and got saved. Um, and he started this website. And so you can find a lot of information on there. Um, and it's just really good to know with what's going on. So is that, uh, Walter, I forget his last name. Yes. Um, me too. Let me look this up real quick. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Walt Heyer. There we go. I think I'm saying that right. Um, yeah. I, oh wait, I've, no. Just kidding. Eight years. He wasn't. He wasn't transgender. Forty years. Okay. Uh, he transitioned forty years ago, but he was. Uh, he identified for eight years as a transgender woman. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I've heard him speak on a few different podcasts and things, and mm-hmm. uh, 
that his book paper genders has been one that's like on my to read list for a long time i really just need to do it um i've heard great things about it but i'll, I'll definitely link that site down below because i think you're right he's got some very valuable interesting perspective because not only was he transitioned it was well before this current trend of yeah. kind of transitioning um but as also a, a christian i think he just brings a really great viewpoint to this discussion so i'm glad you brought that up yeah definitely a unique perspective and a much needed voice right now absolutely so. okay well shelby where can everybody find you at um, so my Instagram, and that's really the only place that I am. I'm not on like Twitter or anything else. Um, so Instagram is that Christian therapist. Um, that's my tag or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and then my, my business plan or whatever, um, is fiercely pinned journals, which will, um, eventually I'm hoping by this summer we can launch, Um, But it's just going to be journals and I'm hoping to eventually do collections for like depression and anxiety where it'll have little prompts throughout the journal. So um, we'll see. That's just like a dream, but we're, we're trying. Cool. Well, I I think that's a fantastic idea for sure, but I I will link all of your information down there below. And it was absolutely great getting, getting to chat with you and, and hearing your perspective on things. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. You take care. Thank you. You too. The last word. Today's last word is freedom. Now, as Americans, freedom is a word that we hear quite often. We like to boast of the fact that we're the most free country on earth. Now, despite a lot of the issues I have with the current trajectory of our country, I actually believe that's true. Even though our First Amendment, Second Amendment, pretty much all the amendments are being attacked at this point, they're still intact. And comparatively to other countries, we have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be proud of, of living in a pretty free nation. That being said, what does freedom really mean? For some people, freedom just simply means the right and ability to do whatever that I want, whatever I please. And There's some of that that I agree with that, especially when it goes to the state, if the state is telling me what I can and cannot drink, what I can and cannot wear, well, that's not very free. So the opposite of that, allowing me that personal freedom to say and do what I want, that's a good thing. But that doesn't really hit the whole picture. See, biblically, freedom is only found in Christ. Where the the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. and. As a non-Christian, you might be sitting there thinking, well, how is that freedom? Like, Jesus, he tells you to, you know, to die for, die to yourself. Um, the Christians often talk about sinful lifestyles, um, putting some of that stuff behind you, repenting of your sins. That doesn't sound like freedom. That's restricting me. And I think that they have a point as long as your definition of freedom stays at just doing whatever you want. I don't think that's really freedom. I'll use my son as an example here. Let's say I tell my son that he has the freedom to eat whatever he wants. Now, if you know my son personally, um, you'll know pretty quickly why this will be a problem. He loves to eat. 
um, and he will make a huge mess of things of, of what he wants to eat. But he might choose to eat, let's say, chocolate ice cream. And maybe that's the only thing he wants to eat all day long. In the short term, guess what? He's going to be happy. He can have as much as, as much chocolate ice cream as he wants. And that's great for him. He's going to love that. But how long is that going to really be freeing for him? At some point, that ice cream isn't going to taste as good. He's going to get full and he's not going to want as much anymore. And worse yet, if that's the only thing that he eats, then that's not going to give him really that nutrition that his body needs to, to grow. You, you see, he's still just a toddler and he needs some of these more beneficial nutrients that are not found in ice cream to help him grow, to, to be big and strong. And even though in that moment, in his little toddler brain, he thinks having as much ice cream as possible is as freeing as possible. That's actually not true. And think about it in your life. Um, I'm sure that you're, you weren't uh, like my son as a child thinking, man, I can't wait to eat ice cream. All I want as an adult, right? <laughs> I mean, again, my, my child has my DNA in me, but I definitely was that way. As a kid, I thought, man, being an adult's going to be great. I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And I, to again, again, to a degree, that's true. Um, for dinner tonight, I can eat ice cream if I want to. Um, that is on the table there. But I know as an adult that that's not a very good, wise, healthy decision. So me limiting myself, me limiting the amount of ice cream that I that I take, um, me maximizing the um, amount of exercise that I'm able to get, um, getting enough sleep, going to bed at a decent hour. On the surface, those don't sound like fun things. Um, why should I eat more vegetables when I can eat ice cream? Why should I exercise? That doesn't feel good. When I can watch TV. Why should I go to bed early when I can stay up late and watch YouTube videos all night long? Again, at the surface in that moment, those things aren't that fun. But we don't live just in the moment. We live in the long term. And God made us to be able to be active. That's why exercise is so important, especially in today's day and age when we sit at computers and desks for so long. We need to get up and move. That's how our body was designed. We need to eat foods like fruits and vegetables that have better nutrients in them. Um, think about that. After you stuffed yourself at Thanksgiving, you don't feel good after that. No, you feel much better when you eat a lighter, healthier meal afterwards than when you eat a really big, heavy meal. When you don't sleep well, you're, you're more cranky. You're not behaving well. You're not able to um, be at your best at work or with your kids. So these things that seem to be not very fun are actually really freeing. When I sleep well at night, I'm free to be able to be more creative in my job, to be um, able to have more fun with my family. That's actually a really freeing thing. And that's similar in the debate about sin. Um, is that really freedom to do whatever you want to do? And as Christians, we believe that our hearts are ultimately evil, um, that our hearts lead us uh, towards a path of, of destruction. Since sin has entered the world, we have all been in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the one that brings that freedom to us, that freedom in the sense of forgiveness of our sins. And I don't believe in a salvation of works, but I do believe that through that grace of salvation that I was given, 
that there needs to be an act of repentance. My actions need to show that that grace has been given to me. Those actions did not save me, but they're the result of that grace. And the great part about that is I want to do that. I I want to be able um, to, to show my Savior that respect and that love and the change in my actions. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? No, absolutely not. I make mistakes, I sin, and I need to continually ask for that forgiveness or at least show that, hey, I'm so grateful for the love and forgiveness you gave me that I clearly don't deserve. But that is a path of true freedom. It's not just not sinning just to not sin. That's the law. We've already shown that the law is not not sufficient. It's doing things because of the love the Father gave us in the death of Jesus Christ and rising again to beat death. There's nothing better than that. And there's nothing more freeing to have that love, experience that love, and share that love to other people. So you can think freedom is just doing whatever you want, all you want. But I'll tell you the freedom in Christ is better than any type of freedom that you can get by eating as much ice cream as you want. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. If you enjoy this content, please do a few quick things for me. Please like this video. Um, If you're on any of the podcast listening services, consider giving it a five-star review. Again, those things really do help with the algorithm and help spread this content to more people. If you haven't already, subscribe, again, both on YouTube and Rumble. And then even on those podcasting services, there's ways that you can subscribe to that and never miss an episode. As I mentioned earlier, I have the newsletter sign up down below. Consider putting down your email in that and enjoy a 10% off coupon for the merch store. All right, you guys take care.